say thank you to everybody that prayed for me while I was in Malaysia, while Alice and I were there. We had an amazing trip and felt the prayers of all of you, and um, I'm still jet-lagging, so if, if I say something, forgive me. If I say something that's not quite right. Um, we're starting a new series today on the names of God. These are from the Old Testament I Am names. And we are in this current time, I've noticed that there is a huge interest in personality. It, it was the Myers-Briggs for a while. It seems to be more the Enneagram now, but it's extremely helpful to realize we've all been created differently and we all look at life through a different lens and, and to, to know how it fits and to understand who you are, who others are, and how we've all been created differently. Very, very helpful. Colossians 2.10 says this, we are complete in him. New, New Living Translation says we are completed by our union with Christ. To become the best version of ourselves, it's going to take more than just what's already there that we can figure out. There are things that come from God that are meant to complete us. And so what he did in the Old Testament is he gave a number of things that he wants to be to us. Things that we can only get in union with him. We have many things by creation, but sin messed up that union. And so all of these names are become ours through redemption, through Christ, in Christ. And we're going to look at them. There's six of them. So we'll, we'll, we'll do the series of six weeks. But today, we're starting with um, the Hebrew is the name Sidkenu, Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. So would you stand with me in honor of God's word and we will get into this. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Father, I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would speak more than just into our heads and our theology, but into our very identities. Lord, we love you, and we commit this time to you, and we'll give you the glory for every good thing that happens here. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Point one. His name will be called the Lord, our righteousness. I want to I start with his name will be the Lord. This is, the, the word Lord is the word for I am. It's translated Jehovah, it's translated Yahweh. It is I am, it's from Exodus 3, 14 and 15, where, where God says, Moses said, who should, I, who should I say sent me? And God says, I am that I am. This is the name I'm going to be forever known by. I am. You tell them I am sent you. And we just got done with a series called I Am, where Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus said, I, I, I am the I am of the Old Testament. I am God in the flesh. I am who that was standing there declaring myself. And why is this God's name, I am? And why is it his name forever that he'll always be known by? And of course, scholars have thought on this and, and they, it it means at least three things. One, that the I am, it, it means that he's self-existent, that he is dependent on no one else for his existence. He is the I am. Number two, he's the only one 
that is self-existent. Everything else that is was created by him and is sustained by him. He alone is the self-existent one. And so everything else came from him and is upheld by him. And, and thirdly, he is the, the, the theological word is immutable. It means unchangeable. It me, simply means this. God's not becoming something. He's not in process. He is who he is, forever the same. Jesus Christ, uh, Hebrews 13, 8, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He, he alone is God. He's the only one like this. He can't change because he's already perfect in all of his ways. He is the I am, and he revealed his name as the I am. Well, in the rest of the Old Testament, he revealed names one at a time of who he is for us. Who we are in him. What this union between him and us is supposed to produce in us. And, And today we want to look at that he is the Lord, our righteousness. I I want you to think about a few things. First, the book that this is written in. It's in in Jeremiah. You read Jeremiah, you talk about a depressing book. I mean, brutal. It's all about God's people being unrighteous and how unrighteous they are and then God's judgment and God's severity and it's just like, there's just blood everywhere. It's just like, wow, this is horrible. And then right in the middle of it, God gives his plan for the future. He says, I'm sending a king. He's going to be a descendant of David. He's going to be born on this earth. And his name will be the Lord, our righteousness. His name wasn't that at that time. Jesus' name was always righteous. God's God's throne, the foundation of his throne, is justice and righteousness. God, his name was already righteous. But to become the Lord, our righteousness, this king needed to be born a human being. But he wasn't like any other king. Jesus explains this to his disciples. In Mark chapter 10, he says, your rulers think they're great because of all the people that they lord over, all the people they rule over, all the people that get to, that serve them. But he says, that's not true greatness. True greatness is not how many are serving you, but it's how many you're serving. That the greatest is the one that serves. And then he says this about himself. There's no king like this. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. This king came, he came to die, and he came to die for you, and he came to die for me. He came, he had to, he had to become a man because man had sinned. Man deserved death. He had to be perfect. He had to, be, he had to fulfill the law perfectly, not just outwardly, not just keeping the rules outwardly, but in his heart. He had to be absolutely perfect. He had to be the one that did not deserve death so that he could take our punishment for sin, our, our death. And this is the only way he could take on the name the Lord, our righteousness. Look for a second at 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He who knew no sin became sin. Why? So that we, you and I, might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus came, was born a human being, had your sins, my sins, humanity's sins placed upon him on the cross and God's holiness judged sin. It says in Hebrews 2 that he tasted death for every single one of us. So that you and I 
could become righteous in God's sight. That we, his name would be that he is our righteousness. So that brings us to point two, the robe of righteousness. So there is a chapter in the, in the Gospels that's called the Gospel within the Gospel because it's the center of the entire Gospel. It's the center of God's heart. It's Luke chapter 15. And the third story in that chapter is about the prodigal son. And it starts like this. This son says to his father, give me, give me my inheritance. The inheritance that I'm supposed to get when you're dead, I want it now. I want your money. I just don't want you. And I, I, want, I, want to, I, I don't want my identity connected to you or this. I want to do my own thing. I want, to, I want to be my own person. I want to get out from under the restraints of home. And this father unbelievably grants the request. He sells whatever he has to sell and gives him half of, half of his wealth and lets him go and do his own thing. And so he goes out and, and he squanders all of this money, all of this wealth on, on loose living and, and he has lots of friends to help him spend his money and as soon as the money runs out, the friends run out and he, he could at that point come home but he instead uh, attaches himself to a pig farmer and of course it was, it was illegal to even raise pork in Israel so he's, he's in an illegal trade and he's working and at some point he's working for so little money that the pig's food is becoming desirable to him. And finally, it says he came to a senses. He's like, oh my. I, 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 this, it was never like this at home. And so in verse 18, he says this, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. What he's saying there is, Father, I understand how you probably feel. I chose not to live with you. I chose uh, to, to not have your fellowship. And so I'm, I'm asking for mercy, but I understand that you're going to want to treat me like the hired men that work for minimum wage and don't live on the property. I understand you're not going to want relationship with me, even though you may meet my needs in your mercy. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this man's son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is the, this is the turning point. That the father, he, who he assumes doesn't want to see him, has actually been looking for him. And when he sees him coming, runs to him and embraces him and it's, it's come as you are. God loves us just as we are. But even as the Father is hugging him, we can just imagine he can smell the robe, the tattered robe. The first thing he says is, let's get this robe off and let's get him the best robe. Best robe, of course, is, is the most expensive. It's the, probably the Father's own robe. I want this robe off and I, I, I want to restore him to the dignity of son. The robe of righteousness. God has paid a tremendous price for the robe of righteousness. It, co it costs him the blood of Jesus. He has a robe of righteousness for every one of us. Listen to this. For the sin of this one man, this is Romans 5, 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it, 
will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Mankind had sinned, and God, in his extravagant grace, grace is his generosity, grace is his goodness. According to his generous, overwhelming grace, he made a plan. And that plan was to come down here to die in our place so that he could give us a gift. A gift is something that somebody else paid for that you get for free. And it is, it's called the gift of righteousness. And there's a robe for you. There's a robe for you. Whether you're wearing it or not, it has been purchased just for you. So while I was in Malaysia, Sam and Jennifer Duram, our missionaries there, they're also very good, dear friends of ours. They had us set up with all kinds of meetings. I mean, we met with pastors, groups of pastors at their home. We met with pastors one-on-one. We met with bishops and superintendents and all kinds of people in different types of meetings. And then they had one where six churches came together and it was on revival and it was a four-hour meeting. And Jennifer has 31 intercessors that came together that she's trained and that was a three-hour meeting. And then there was a couple churches got together for something called One Thing and it was on intimacy with God. And then there was, uh, of course, two church services. One of them was in a, a, a Tamil Methodist church. Tamil is the native language and, uh, or one of the native languages. Anyway, at that church, I had about 45 minutes, but you don't get 45 minutes because it's got to be interpreted. So you get more like 30 and, and the interpretation. And of course, uh, I, we're the only white people there. Everybody else is, is Malaysian or Asian in, in some way, shape, or form. And it's a different tradition. It's Methodist and but I get to the end of my message and have every head bowed and it wasn't that large of a church, but there were, t- there were over 20 hands for salvation that God was offering the robe of righteousness. And, and who knows how it works, but somehow this white guy was just coming from another country and through an interpreter, but it was more than just a guy. It was God coming. And saying, I've got something for you. The second Sunday, it was a church very much like City Church. Much larger and a very young church. And I had a whole different message. But when I got to the end and it was salvation time, it was uh, powerful. There were over 30 in that church that responded. And God had a robe of righteousness for each one of them. But I, I want to tell you the story about one guy. It says in Luke 15, 4, that he goes after the one that's lost until he finds it. And it says this, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one repenting. In, in, in God's economy, it's not about masses. It's about one. It's real, that's really important. Because it's very easy to think that you're lost in the fog of many people and that God values many people. No, God values one person. God values you. There's a robe for you. So anyway, we, we land. We land at 4.30 in the morning in uh, Kuala Lumpur, which is the capital of uh, Malaysia. And Sam and Jennifer are there, both there to meet us. And they had to get up at 2.30. They don't own a car, so they had to take... Not a cab, but a grab. Okay? So this is a company that bought out Uber in that country, and it's called Grab. So you you get a grab. You got a grab driver, not a cab driver. Anyway, um, so we're on our way out to to, to get into the car, and Sam is telling me that this driver, they're building a relationship with him. His name is Mr. Sham. His name is unpronounceable to us, and that's, so he just said, why don't you just call me Mr. Sham? And anyway, Sam and Jennifer had rides from him many times. He said, we're building a relationship, but you need to know this. They're devout Muslims. And so, uh, okay, that's great. So we, we get in, and 
um, I'm, he puts me up front with Mr. Sham, and, and it's, everything's backwards because it's an, it's, it's an English co- colony, and so you drive on the wrong side of the street. Which Anyway, whatever. I'm, on, I'm, I'm in the passenger seat. So I'm chatting with Mr. Sham. I'm chatting about his family and his work and, and asking questions. And, um, and he's telling me about his Islam and uh, Muslim. And, and I say, you know, um, we had a guy at our church. His name was Tom Doyle. And he's a missionary to the Middle East. And he wrote a book. Uh, about Muslims. And he said, and I, I said, I know you honor Jesus. I know you honor Jesus in your, your teaching and you honor Jesus in, in all that you guys do. And, but this, this book, it's called Dreams and Visions, is God awakening the Muslim people. And I, I told him, I said, Jesus is appearing to Muslims as the man in white all over the Middle East, every country, and revealing who he is to Muslims, and Mr. Shama's like, uh, tell me the name of that book again. I give him the name, and he's, tell me the author again. I give him the author, and, um, and, you know, we start talking about other things. I tell him, you know, you could just order this on Amazon, da-da-da-da-da. So uh, we get out, say goodbye to Mr. Sham, and we haven't even gotten to our elevator yet to take us to their apartment. And Sam says, oh, by the way, um, you can't witness to Muslims. It's illegal. If he reports you, you will, they will come and you'll go to jail. That's how serious this is. And so uh, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks for not sharing that earlier. Um, it could have been a very short mission strip. So, but we get up to the apartment, and Sam says, I want to order that book. I could tell he was interested in that book. I want to order that book, and I want you to write in it, and when you're at that, when he takes you back to the airport, right before you leave the ground, I want you to give him that book. Because you can't get in trouble anymore. It's just, it's, and, and, and you'll give it to him. And, and, and I'm like, well, that's a great idea, but you don't need to order. I can order that book. If it's from me, I should be the one to buy it. And so we're looking into it, and um, it turns out it's going to take about two weeks for it to get there, and we don't even know if it'll arrive before we leave. And, and so, uh, but we're still planning on at least trying. And, uh, and Alice comes out of the room, and we tell her what we want to do. And she says this, oh, I brought that book along. (laughs) We've got so many books. We've got 500 to 1,000 books at our house. Usually when we go on trips, you get bring books from the library. Of all the books she could have brought, she brought that book. And I'm just like, oh my, this is, this is the Lord. And so uh, we had a, a few vacation days, and so... Sam called Mr. Sham, and he came and, and, and drove us to the vacation. And so we got to chat a lot with him and talk a lot with him. And on our way back, uh, he, he, he invites us to his brother's daughter's wedding, which is going to be the next day. And I'm just like, this is amazing. We couldn't do it because they have meetings for me all the time, so I, we couldn't go to it. But, but it, was just, it was just very sweet with Mr. Sham. And, um, so we're going back to the airport. And Sam and Jennifer stayed back because he had to leave the next morning. And so it's just, it's just Alice and I and Mr. Sham. And, and we're, getting, we're about five minutes to the airport. And I said, we had been talking the whole way. I said, Mr. Sham. I said, let me tell you a story. And I told him about we were going to order this book, and, and then I found, we found out that my wife had the book, and, and I said, Mr. Mr. Sham, we're going to give you this book as a gift, but it's not just from me. It's, for, it's, it's from God. God. Only God could have ordained for that to be the book that, that we would have 
with us. And so we, we get out of the, the grab, and he wants a picture with us, and so he, he takes a picture with us, and um, I give him the book, and, and I say, Mr. Shump, could I pray for you and your family? He said, please, please pray for me. There's a robe of righteousness for Mr. Shump. There's another robe for every one of his kids and for his wife. There is a robe of righteousness that's already been paid for. For every work associate you have, every family member, whatever they've been, whatever they've done, there is a robe that's been purchased for them. It's the best robe. He wants to be to the human race, the Lord, our righteousness. But every single one of us, we need to personalize that. We need to make it our own. All right, point three, last point. We're almost done. An identity in righteousness. You can have a theology of righteousness where you understand what the gospel is and you have it here. You can have an experience of righteousness, where you have a salvation testimony, where you know God saved you and you experience the joy of the party. You, you experience forgiveness and you know it happened and you can give even maybe the date. Sometimes you can't give the date. Don't worry about that. You just, you know that you have that gift of righteousness because you had some experience with God. But not have an identity in righteousness and still have an identity that's based in shame. So I want you to use your imagination for just a moment. So you're the prodigal, and uh, you came home yesterday, there was a party, you got the best robe, you saw the Father's love for you, and you wake up the next morning, and you've got that robe. That robe is in your closet. It's the best robe. It's an expensive robe. But here's the problem. Just because the Father said all of those nice things and gave you all that stuff, you still feel unworthy of that robe. <laughs> you still feel like, that's, I'm really not comfortable in that robe because I remember all the money I squandered. I remember all the sin that I committed, and I'm actually more comfortable in this old, stinky, tattered robe. And so you go to your closet, and you put that one on. It's the next day. You got, you've got the best rope, but you've got, you're putting this other one on. You, it, it fits you better. You're more comfortable. It's what you deserve. And so you're walking around the house, and the father sees you. And he says to you, child, why are you wearing that rope? And you explain to it, this, this, is, this fits me better. I feel, this just makes me feel better about what I've, about what I've done. It's a good reminder of what I've done, of how I've sinned, and how I've failed. And the father says, no, 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 no. No, that's not, that's not the, my message for you. Here's why I want you to put the best robe back on. Because what I want you, when you see the best robe, I want you to remember this, that you're forgiven. I want, and I don't want you to remember your sin. I want you to remember that you're forgiven. Uh, I want you to remember, every time you see that robe, I want you to remember my love. Not your shame, but my love for you. Whenever you see this robe, whenever you put it on, I want you to remember my grace toward you. This is my heart toward you. I want you to wear this every day. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Paul's talking about spiritual warfare. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now we're talking about identity. And he's saying there is a breastplate of righteousness. Notice what it covers, your heart. It covers how you feel about yourself. And Paul says you need to put it on. It's in your closet. It's part of salvation. 
But you need to win. You need to put it on. You need to put it in place. Jesus died so that you could have this, but you need to put it on. I always encourage people to have quiet time with God in the morning. Here's why. When do you get dressed? (laughs) Don't we get dressed in the morning? You don't get dressed at 7 p.m. You don't go around in your PJs all day. You decide what you're going to wear in the morning. Isn't that right? And so even if you're a night person, I encourage you, have a little time in the morning where you, you put on the identity God wants you to have. Sam was, Sam and I were chatting one day and he was telling about this leadership school he does and one recent one was in Thailand and there were 31 people from all over the world gathered for this leadership. It's like seven weeks of leadership and here's how he started it because at the direct command of God, he, he goes into this woman's shop to buy perfume and he feels like God wants him to buy the most expensive perfume in that place. And it's called, there's a name on it, and the name of this perfume is beautiful. So he buys this expensive perfume, and here's how the whole leadership thing starts. First, he takes the staff, because of the 31, some of them are staff that are going to lead the small groups of the other ones, and he has all of the staff take off, of, take off their shoes and their socks, and they have a, a foot washing but it's Sam himself doing the washing, but he's not washing them with water. He's washing them with this perfume that, that is their, it is their value before God. It's their name before God. And as he washes and prays God's identity over them, he said many, many teared up. But then I had them turn around and, have, and them take the perfume and pray for everyone else. And, and he said there was, there was one couple from Japan where it wasn't just the watering up. They, they started weeping. And they explained that their culture, it's a shame-based culture. And so it's, it's very difficult to get into an idea. Even though they're leaders in the body of Christ, even though they know the gospel, even though they could preach the gospel, they are leaders. They're, they're there for leadership. But walking in the identity that I am beautiful and I am loved and I'm God's righteousness. They just said it's just so foreign to us. And these are leaders in the body of Christ. Friends, God wants you to have something more than a theology. He wants you to have something more than just a salvation experience. He wants an identity that every day, every day, you know that you are righteous before him, that you put on this righteousness, that you wear this righteousness. It's an honor to him when you wear this. Who am I? I'm not my sin. I'm forgiven. Who am I? I, I'm not self-loathing and self-hatred. I am loved. Who am I? I am not judged. I'm filled with grace because Jesus took justice for me so that he could give me his grace. This is who I am. And God wants you and I to live out of this place. And I'll grant, none of us are good at living out of it. You're going to have to practice. You're going to have to practice. Put it on. Put it on every day. It's hard to get dirty or live dirty when you have your wedding clothes on. Revelation chapter 19, I'm almost done. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. She made herself ready How? By putting on the garments she was given to wear. This bright, clean 
righteous garment. Folks, there's a wedding coming. Jesus is coming back as a bridegroom. The whole picture of a Jewish wedding is this, the, the craziness of their culture. They didn't tell them when they were coming. They, there was like a three-week period that the bridegroom would come, and they liked to come unexpectedly. They liked to come at night, and the way it worked is the bridal party had to be ready all the time. They had to sleep in wedding clothes. They had to have their wedding clothes on all the time because when the shout came, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming, they came, they got, they lit up their oil lamps, went out into the street, and everybody that had that oil lamp lit got picked up by the bridegroom, and they went back to the father's house to have the wedding feast. We are called to wear the wedding clothes, and when they're on, it's just a lot easier to not sin, to not go places we shouldn't go. So here's what happened. A couple weeks ago, I guess it's a month now, my daughter got married, Bethany, and the, the wedding ended up being at the church, but the reception was at the East Side Club, and the pictures were at Obrick Gardens, and the men didn't have to be part of the pictures. Or maybe the, some of the men did. I certainly didn't have to be. And I, I'm, I'm at church at 3 o'clock getting ready for the wedding. I've got my wedding clothes on. And I look at my phone. And I have 10 missed calls from my wife. Now how many know that's a bad thing? <laughs> that's, a, that's a very, very bad thing. And, and then there is one message from her. And it's just... It's a very frustrated message. So I call her, and she informs me of what has happened. They were on their way from the pictures at Obrick Gardens to go over to the reception where they're going to take more pictures, and she said, I heard something thump, and I looked in the rearview mirror. I didn't see anything. We got to the East Side Club, and I came out a few minutes later, and we have a flat tire in the van. It's Saturday, it's 3 o'clock, Josh and Ann with the twins, they're missionaries, were staying with us the next morning early, they need to go to a church four hours from here, they need a vehicle the next morning, we we need that, that tire fixed, we need it fixed right now, and I am trying to figure out, we got a wedding coming up, and I'm trying to think of how we can get this, this tire fixed, and for me to go out there, A, <laughs> I've got a lot on my plate right now. I'm, I'm doing, I've got this wedding, and then we got the reception, and I kind of need to be on site. And frankly, these new vehicles, I don't know that I'd be able to even find the spare tire, honestly. <laughs> they, they now bury them up inside the thing, and, and if, even if I could get it off, how would I, you know, I just like, I don't think so. I don't see me fixing that tire. So I call my brother Mike. My, bri- my brother Mike is very mechanical. And uh, I say, Mike, what are the chances between the wedding and the reception of you changing this tire? And here's what he says to me. Can't. I got my wedding clothes on. Can't get dirty. I, I can't get dirty. I got my wedding clothes on. And then he says this. But, he says, you know, we have AAA and I could call them. I don't know how it works. Maybe they'd be willing to come out and do yours because I said, does AAA change tires? He said, oh, that's what they do. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't need you to call them. I'm, I'm part of AAA. <laughs> I, I'm part of AAA. So, so after the wedding, I'm on my way to the reception and I call AAA and... and uh, they say, yep, we'll, we'll get somebody out there. He'll call before, when, when he's on his way. And, um, and so, and, and, and at this point, it begins to rain. And so everybody's in the reception, and we did the, you know, the original, you know, the speeches and stuff like that. And I'm sitting out there waiting for them to call. I look at my phone. They've already called. In fact, the guy's in the parking lot. And so I go out to meet him. And I'm like, do you know where that spare? He's like, this is what we do. I know where the spare is. Yeah, we'll get, we'll, we'll take care of this. And so he said, you just, you go back inside. So I go inside and I'm 
waiting for I tell him to, to call me when he's done, and I'm, I come back in. I feel a little bad being in when he's out in the rain, and, um, but I finally, I finally just decide I'm going to go and check on his progress. And he's all done. And he stands up. He says, it's all, he says, it's all done. It's all ready to go. I said, uh, do, do I need to sign something or pay, give you money or something? He says, oh, no. He said, this is all, it's all part of the membership. And he has a big smile on his face, and he, and he shakes my hand, and he just gets in his car and goes off. And it's like, oh, my, this whole problem just got solved. So, I want to read a scripture to you, and then I want to tell you the, the take-home from this. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I want you to think about that flat tire as a weakness, a breakdown, something that speaks to you. That tire spoke to me. That's a, you need to do something about me right now. That flat tire can represent fear. It can represent anger. It can represent lust. It can, it can, it can represent grief. But it's, it's real to you. It's touching your weakness. It's calling you to do something. It's calling you to fulfill it. It's calling you to grab hold of it. Here's what it's calling you to do. Get dirty. It's calling you to get dirty. It's calling you to live in the old man, the old ways, the old stuff, and it's calling you, it's beckoning you to get dirty. Now let me propose this. If you, if you don't have your wedding clothes on, if you've got dirty clothes on already, it's really easy to do dirty things when you've got dirty clothes on. But when you've when you got the wedding clothes on, you hesitate. I, even though it's speaking, I, I don't want to get these clothes dirty. This is why it's so important to, to put, put, put on those wedding clothes. Put on that breastplate of righteousness. Put it on because we're going to have these breakdowns that speak to us. I've never seen this verse the way I've seen it this last week. Jesus understands our weakness. Jesus understands your temptation. Jesus understands your fear, your anger, your lust, whatever it is that's kind of where the enemy starts speaking to you and, and bids you to come and grab hold of this and, and get down and dirty and get into things that, that are going to make you feel bad. Jesus understands it. He knows where it is. And he says, when you're in that place, I want you to make a call. I want you to make a call with confidence. Because it's part of the membership. I will come out. I will come out. Whatever the storm is, however bad it is, there's no temptation you face that I don't have the answer for. I want to give you grace. I want to give you mercy. I, I can fix that tire. I can come and be what you lack and you, so that you don't have to go into unrighteousness. You can live righteous. If you come up against something, you need to make a call. See, I, I was a triple A member, but I didn't realize this was part of the package. Sometimes we, we are Christian, but we, we don't realize this is part of the package. He's not expecting you to do it on your own. He's expecting you. You're, we live in a world filled with weakness. You've got weaknesses. You've got sin. There's a devil. He's not expecting you to do it on, a, on your own. He's expecting you, when you come up against these things, to, to call. To remind yourself, oh my, this is why I have a membership. 
And what really touched me about this experience was the joy he had in helping me. He just said, this is part of the membership, sir. This is part of the membership. Jesus wants to help us. Not just a one-timer so that we're ready for heaven. He wants to help us every day. He wants to build a relationship with us by us accessing this relationship and him helping us and him giving us grace and strength. Whatever we're in, whatever mess we're in, whatever's speaking to us, he bids us to come with confidence and ask. It's part of the membership. Okay, could we bow our heads for just a moment? Maybe you're here today and you've kind of been the prodigal. You have taken your God-given gifts, your God-given personality, and you've done your own thing. You've gone your own way. You've, you, you've, you've been on your own. Your identity has been outside of God, and it's been all about you. And today, God's calling you home. God's calling you to come home. He's, he's waiting for you, not with condemnation, but with pure love. Just own it. Own that you've sinned. Own, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned in your sight. I have sinned. There's a tremendous freedom in owning that we've sinned. Because now we can also own redemption. The Bible says it this way. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. There is a robe for you. If that is you, Jesus is knocking today. And you want to open up your heart, open up your life and say, Jesus, please come in, wash me and give me that robe of righteousness. I'd like you to just raise your hand real high right now, long enough for me to see it. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand up in the balcony. I see these two hands over here. I see that other hand up in the balcony. I see this hand in the back of the balcony over here. And everybody, oh, I see that hand there. Everybody that raised their hand, you put your hand down. Is there anybody else? Jesus is knocking. Something more than man talking is happening, right? Jesus is knocking. That's his pure love knocking, saying, I, I, I've got something for you. I've got something for you. Anybody else by upraised hand? I'm gonna, we're going to pray in just a moment, but I just, if God's waiting on you, if, you, if, if this is you, just rate, there it is. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. He's so, I see you way in the back of the balcony. Not only do I see you, Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you. I see you, buddy. If you raised your hand, could you just put your hand over your heart right now? And just pray something like this in your own words, your own language. Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you laid your life down, that you took my sin so that you could purchase for me a gift and become the Lord, my righteousness. So Lord, I'm opening up my heart. I'm opening up my door right now by faith. Please come in, save me. I receive your gift right now. Fill me and let me know that there's a party going on because you're so happy to have me home. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Let's clap. <laughs> Hallelujah! And then, and then could, we, could we stand together? This is, the second one is, you, you, you definitely have a theology of righteousness and, and you've had an experience of salvation, but you've been stuck. You've been stuck in shame. Every day you get up and it seems like you're putting on that, the one you feel worthy of, which is that old, tatter, smelly garment, and this is kind of what you deserve. And listen, whenever you give yourself what you deserve, I just want you to know what you're doing. You're bypassing the cross. You're trying to pay for your own sins. They've already been paid for. 
It honors God to put the best robe on. It seems humble to put that old, tattered, smelly thing on and walk around feeling bad and dirty all day. Listen, that's not what God has for you. Leave that one in the closet. Put the best robe on every single day. So God wants to put his perfume on your identity right now. Would you just open your arms if that's you? Lord, you, you, you... You bought the most expensive perfume and started washing our identity and speaking these words over us. Beautiful. You are beautiful to me. You are beautiful to me. Lord, would you remove shame? But, but Pastor Tom, I've, 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 I've been a Christian, but then I've gone back and I've done stuff. Listen. Listen to 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what happens if you're cleansed from unrighteousness? You're righteous again. So Jesus, wash us. Cleanse us. Cleanse our lives. Cleanse our identities. And Lord, would you speak beautiful, deep into our identity, that we are the beloved. We are the forgiven. We are those who have received grace. Would you put that breastplate on God? And I'm especially praying for those that you've just had trouble feeling forgiven. You theologically are, but you haven't felt forgiven. Lord, break through today. Break through today. And then, Lord, I don't know, there's something easy about feeling it on Sunday. Would you help us to put it on tomorrow morning? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, would you help us to live in the, the purchase that you've made for us. Please, God, we love you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Woo! If you would like more prayer, we're going to have ministry teams up front. God bless you. Have a great day and a great week.